Welcome back, everybody, to Chip and Eric reading through the Bible. Just yeah. a couple of semi-ordinary pastors. Yeah. Reading an extraordinary book. Wow. To some wonderful people. Yeah, on day 209. On day 209. Yeah, here we are. That number's really high. 209? Like, that's a really high number. It is, but it's right. I mean, yes, it's right. Yeah. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just oh. saying. Oh. Like, people have it's been at hot. this for a while. Like, oh, no, man. It's really that's, cool. That's true. It's really cool. So, good job, everybody. Hey, if this is your first day with us, we are super excited that you're here. You should go back, binge the Bible. Listen today. Go back, binge the Bible. Get the whole thing. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, pretty sweet. So, we're going to pick up today. We're going back to, we've been in Isaiah. We're going back to 2 Kings, though. 2 Kings chapter 18. We're going to pick up in verse 9. We're going to read through the end of that, and we're going to read all of chapter 19 as well. So And then we're going to the, the Psalms. Oh, I thought we were going to take a nap. Oh, well, yeah, nap, then we're going to do three psalms. <laughs> squeeze psalm 46, Psalm 80, and Psalm 135. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We'll squeeze a quick nap in nap. between there. Yes. <laughs> yep. All right, so 2 Kings chapter 18. So we talked a lot about uh, Sennacherib or Sennacherib. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, we're going to say the name differently, and it's fine. It doesn't matter. Yeah, that's how I said it in my head for years. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. And Sennacherib. So we're, we're, we do that. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't you matter. what we're talking about. I, yeah. Um, as long as we don't get the major names. He's been, like yeah. Moses. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Moses. I was going to say, you mean Mo- Mo- Moses? Moses. <laughs> Moses. Uh, okay. So, yeah, we, we read a little bit about him and his threats against uh, uh, Jerusalem. Yep. And now we're going to pick that up. We might read a couple things that you've already kind of heard in the narrative, but that's just the way the Bible's ordered. So here we are. So during the fourth year of Hezekiah's reign, which was the seventh year of King Hoshea's reign in Israel, King Shalmaneser of Assyria attacked the city of Samaria and began a siege against it. Three years later, during the sixth year of King Hezekiah's reign and the ninth year of King Hoshea's reign in Israel, Samaria fell. At that time, the king of Assyria exiled the Israelites to Assyria and placed them in colonies in Hala, along the banks of the Habor River in Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes. For they refused to listen to the Lord their God and obey him. Instead, they violated his covenant, all the laws that Moses, the Lord's servant, had commanded them to obey. Assyria invades Judah. In the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah's reign, King Sennacherib of Assyria came to attack the fortified towns of Judah and conquered them. King Hezekiah sent this message to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, I have done wrong. I will pay whatever tribute money you demand if you will only withdraw. The king of Assyria then demanded a settlement of more than 11 tons of silver and one ton of gold. To gather this amount, King Hezekiah used all the silver stored in the temple of the Lord in the palace treasury. Hezekiah even stripped the gold from the doors of the Lord's temple and from the doorpost he had overlaid with gold, and he gave it all to the Assyrian king. Nevertheless, the king of Assyria sent his commander-in-chief, his field commander, and his chief of staff from Lake from Lachish with a huge army to confront King Hezekiah in Jerusalem. The Assyrians took up a position beside the aqueduct that feeds water into the upper pool, near the ro- road leading to the field where the cloth is washed. They summoned King Hezekiah, but the king sent these, these officials to meet with them. Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, the palace administrator, Shebna, the court secretary, and Joah, son of Asaph, the royal historian. Sennacherib threatens Jerusalem. Then the Assyrian king's chief of staff told them to give this message to Hezekiah. This is what the great king of Assyria says. 
What are you trusting in that makes you so confident? Do you think that mere words can substitute for military skill and strength? Who are you counting on that you have rebelled against me? On Egypt? If you lean on Egypt, it'll be like a reed that splinters beneath your weight and pierces your hand. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, is completely unreliable. But perhaps you'll say to me, we are trusting in the Lord our God. But isn't he the one who was insulted by Hezekiah? Didn't Hezekiah tear down his shrines and altars and make everyone in Judah and Jerusalem worship only at the altar here in Jerusalem? I'll tell you what. Strike a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. I'll give you 2,000 horses if you can find that many men to ride on them. With your tiny army, how can you think of challenging even the weakest contingent of my master's troops, even with the help of Egypt's chariots and charioteers? What's more, what more do you think we've invaded your land without the Lord's direction? The Lord himself told us, attack this land and destroy it. Then Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, Shebna, and Joah said to the Assyrian chief of staff, Please speak to us in Aramaic, for we understand it well. Don't speak in Hebrew, for the people on the wall will hear. But Sennacherib's chief of staff replied, Do you think my master sent this message only to you and to your master? He wants all the people to hear it. For when we put the city under siege, they will suffer along with you. They'll be so hungry and thirsty that they will eat their own dung and drink their own urine. Then the chief of staff stood and shouted in Hebrew to the people on the wall, Listen to this message from the great king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Don't let Hezekiah deceive you. He will never be able to rescue you from my power. Don't let him fool you into trusting in the Lord by saying, The Lord will surely rescue us. This city will never fall into the hands of the Assyrian king. Don't listen to Hezekiah. These are the terms of the king of Assyria <coughs> is offering. Make peace with me. Open the gates and come out. Then each of you can continue eating from your own grapevine and fig tree and drinking from your own well. Then I'll arrange to take you to another land like this one, a land of grain and new wine, bread and vineyards, olive groves and honey. Choose life instead of death. Don't listen to Hezekiah when he tries to mislead you by saying, the Lord will rescue us. Have the gods of any other nation ever saved their people from the king of Assyria? What happened to the gods of Hamath and Arpad? And what about the gods of Sepharvaim, Hina, and Iva? Did any god rescue Samaria from my power? What god of any nation has ever been able to save its people from my power? So what makes you think that the Lord can rescue Jerusalem from me? But the people were silent and did not utter a word, because Hezekiah had commanded them, Do not answer him. Then Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, the palace administrator, Shebna, the court secretary, and Joah, son of Asaph, the royal historian, went back to Hezekiah. They tore their clothes in despair, and they went to see the king and told him what the Assyrian chief of staff had said. Second Kings chapter 19, Hezekiah seeks the Lord's help. When Hezekiah heard their report, he tore his clothes, and he put on burlap, and he went into the temple of the Lord. He sent Eliakim, the palace administrator, Shebna, the court secretary, and leading priest, all dressed in burlap, to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. They told him, This is what King Hezekiah says. Today is a day of trouble, insults, and disgrace. It is like when a child is ready to be born, but the mother has no strength to deliver the baby. But perhaps the Lord your God has heard the Assyrian chief of staff, sent by the king to defy the living God, and will punish him for his words. Oh, pray for those of us who are left. After King Hezekiah's officials delivered the king's message to Isaiah, the prophet replied, Say this to your master. This is what the Lord says. Do not be disturbed by this blasphemous speech against me from the Assyrian king's messengers. Listen, I will move... I, I myself will move against him, and the king will receive a message that he is needed at home, so he will return to his land, where I will have him killed with a sword. Meanwhile, the Assyrian chief of staff left Jerusalem and went to consult the king of Assyria, who had left Lachish and was attacking Libna.
Soon afterward, King... Here we go. <laughs> Sennacherib received word that King Terhaka of Ethiopia was leading an army to fight against him. Before, before leaving to meet the attack, he sent messengers back to Hezekiah in Jerusalem with this message. This message is for King Hezekiah of Judah. Don't let your God in whom you trust deceive you with promises that Jerusalem will not be captured by the king of Assyria. You know perfectly well what the kings of Assyria have done wherever they have gone. They've completely destroyed everyone who stood in their way. Why should you be different? Have the gods of other nations rescued them? Such nations, such as Gozan, Haran, Rezeph, and the people of Eden, who were in Tel Asar? My predecessors destroyed them all. What happened to the king of Hamath and the king of Arpad? What happened to the kings of Sepharvaim, Hena, and Iva? After Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it, he went up to the Lord's temple and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed this prayer before the Lord. O Lord, God of Israel, you are enthroned between the mighty cherubim. You alone are God of all the kingdoms of the earth. You alone created the heavens and the earth. Bend down, O Lord, and listen. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to Sennacherib's words of defiance against the living God. It is true. Lord, that the kings of Assyria have destroyed all these nations, and they've thrown the gods of these nations into fire and burned them. But, of course, the Assyrians could, could destroy them. They were not gods at all, only idols of wood and stone shaped by human hands. Now, O Lord our God, rescue us from his power. Then all the kingdoms of the earth will know that you alone, O Lord, are God. Isaiah predicts Judah's deliverance. Then Isaiah, son of Amos, sent this message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I have heard your prayer about King Sennacherib of Assyria, and the Lord has spoken this word against him. The virgin daughter of Zion despises you and laughs at you. The daughter of Jerusalem shakes her head in derision as you flee. Whom have you been defying and ridiculing? Against whom did you raise your voice? At whom did you look with such haughty eyes? It was the Holy One of Israel. By your messengers you have defied the Lord. You have said, With my many chariots I have conquered the highest mountains, yes, the remotest peaks of Lebanon. I have cut down its tallest cedars and its finest cypress trees. I have reached its farthest corners and explored its deepest forest. I have dug wells in many foreign lands and refreshed myself with their water. With the sole of my foot I have stopped up the rivers of Egypt. But have you not heard? I decided this long ago. Long ago I planned it, and now I am making it happen. I planned for you to crush fortified cities into heaps of rubble. That is why their people have so little power and are so frightened and confused. They are as weak as grass, as easily trampled as tender green shoots. They are like grass sprouting on a housetop, scorched before it can grow lush and tall. But I know you well, where you stay, and when you come and go. I know the way you have raged against me. And because of your raging against me and your arrogance, which I have heard from myself, I'll put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth. I'll make you return by the same road on which you came. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Here is the proof that what I say is true. This year you will eat only what grows up by itself, and next year you will eat what springs up from that. But in the third year you will plant crops and harvest them. You will tend vineyards and eat their fruit. And you who are left in Judah, who have escaped the ravages of the siege, will put roots down in your soil and will grow up and flourish. For a remnant of my people will spread out from Jerusalem, a group of survivors from Mount Zion. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. And this is what the Lord says about the king of Assyria. His armies will not enter Jerusalem. They will not even shoot an arrow at it. They will not march outside its gates with their shields, nor build banks of earth against its walls. The king will return to his own country by the same road on which he came. He will not enter the city, says the Lord. 
For my own honor and for the sake of my servant David, I will defend this city and protect it. That night, the angel of the Lord went out to the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. When the surviving Assyrians woke up the next morning, they found corpses everywhere. Then King Sennacherib of Assyria broke camp and returned to his own land. He went home to his capital of Nineveh and stayed there. One day, while he was worshiping in the temple of his god, Nisroch, his sons, Adrimelech and Sharezer, killed him with their swords. Then they escaped to the land of Ararat, and another son, Esarhaddon became the next king of Assyria. All right, now we're going to move forward to Psalm chapter 46. This is for the choir director, a song of the descendants of Korah to be sung by soprano voices. Mm. You got a soprano voice, Chip? Uh, I do not. Okay, me neither. All you sopranos out there, we're going to need your help. We're going to need your help. God is our refuge and strength always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. A river brings joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High. God dwells in that city. It cannot be destroyed. From the very break of day, God will protect it. The nations are in chaos and their kingdoms crumble. God's voice thunders and the earth melts. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Come, see the glorious works of the Lord. See how he brings destruction upon the world. He causes wars to end throughout the earth. He breaks the bow and snaps the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. So Psalm 80 is next. Oh, this is to a tune of an old favorite of yours. Yeah, Lilies of the Covenant. Okay. Classic. It is classic. You want me to go? Or you want, you no, want? i got to start this. Okay. It's my tune. I know. Please listen, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph's descendants like a flock. O God, enthroned above the cherubim, display your radiant glory to Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Show us your mighty power. Come to rescue us. I can't hear it in any other tune but Lilies of the Covenant. Like, yeah. I can't hear it any other way. It's no, so crazy. No. Turn us again to yourself, O God. Make your face shine down upon us. Only then will we be saved. O Lord, God of heaven's armies, how long will you be angry with our prayers? Have you fed us with sorrow and made us drink tears by the bucketful? You have made us the scorn of neighboring nations. Our enemies treat us as a joke. Turn us again to yourself, O God of heaven's armies. Make your face shine down upon us, and only then will we be saved. You brought us from Egypt like a grapevine. You drove away the pagan nations and transplanted us into your land. You cleared the ground for us, and we took root and filled the land. Our shade covered the mountains. Our branches covered the mighty cedars. We spread our branches west to the, to the Mediterranean Sea. Our shoots spread east to the Euphrates River. But now why have you broken down our walls so that all who pass by... Uh, may steal our fruit. The wild boar from the forest devours it, and the wild animals feed on it. Come back, we beg you, O God of heaven's armies. Look down from heaven and see our plight. Take care of this grapevine that you yourself have planted, this son you yourself have you have raised for yourself. For we are chopped up and burned by our enemies. May they perish at the sight of your frown. Strengthen the man you love, the son of your choice. Then we will never abandon you again. Revive us so we can call on your name once more. Turn us again to yourself, O Lord God of heaven's armies. Make your face shine down upon us. Only then will we be saved. Okay, and finally, Psalm 135. 
Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise him, you who serve the Lord, you who serve in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Celebrate his lovely name with music. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel for his own special treasure. I know the greatness of the Lord, that our Lord is greater than any other God. The Lord does whatever pleases him throughout all heaven and earth and on the seas and in the depths. He causes the clouds to rise over the whole earth. He sends a lightning with the rain and releases the wind from its storehouses. He destroyed the firstborn in each Egyptian home, both people and animals. He performed miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt against Pharaoh and all his people. He struck down great nations and slaughtered mighty kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites, Og, king of Bashan, and all the kings of Canaan. He gave their land as an inheritance, a special possession to his people Israel. Your name, O Lord, it endures forever. Your fame, O Lord, is known to every generation. For the Lord will give justice to his people and have compassion on his servants. The idols of the nations are merely things of silver and gold shaped by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak and eyes but cannot hear. They have ears, I'm sorry, eyes but cannot see. Hmm. They have ears but cannot hear and mouths but cannot breathe. And those who make idols are just like them, as are all who trust in them. O Israel, praise the Lord. O priests, descendants of Aaron, praise the Lord. O Levites, praise the Lord. All you who fear the Lord, praise the Lord. The Lord be praised from Zion, for he lives here in Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Awesome. Okay. Good reading. Yeah, it was a good reading. A long one, but a good one. Okay. So, if you're just joining us for the first time today, you got to know. We're going to ask two questions here. The first one is, so what? In other words, what application can we take from this text? So, what does this mean to me in my life? And where's Jesus? How does this text point us to the whole purpose of Scripture, which is to elevate Christ? So, Chip? Yep. So what, buddy? So what? Well, um, a lot of things. I think I commented on the narrative the last time, so I wanted to jump on the Psalms this time. And... um, uh, Psalm, the one we just read, 135. Um, I, I know the greatness of the Lord, that our Lord is greater than any other God. Mm-hmm. So um, Scripture, the breath of God, identifies the reality that there are fake, false, small G-O-D. Yeah, absolutely. So it can happen. Mm-hmm. It's true. Anybody at any time could have a false God. It can look any like anything or anyone. Mm-hmm. And you can pretend it does whatever you want it to pretend it does. But at the end of the day, what God says uh, is, is uh, number one, you will be disappointed. Number two, you will be judged. Yeah. And you know, there's probably many more points, but those are the big two that stick out to me. So, But the fact that he mentions that there's false gods is something that we need to be careful because we could also have these false, false, fake gods, these idols that we elevate in our life. And I really like the fact that he says, I know the greatness of the Lord. He's greater than any other god. So right. he's the best. He's the ultimate. You know, he can do what they can't do. And so basically wake up. And I like what happens afterwards. Um, this is called observation. So he follows in verse 6 and says, the Lord does whatever pleases him. So he's going to do what he's going to do. At the end of the day, God's going to do what pleases him. He's going to do it throughout heaven and earth and all the depths. And then in verse 7, 8, 9, 10, and, and 12, skip over to 12, it's like, you know, it makes his case. He causes the clouds to rise. He destroys the firstborn. He performed miracles. He struck down. So he just makes the case mm-hmm. for what God mm-hmm. has done, which means 
this things, uh, what God can do and what he will do. And he is in control and in charge, the only true God. And so I think the takeaway for us today, the so what, is to realize that even though um, this happened to people long ago and we look at this and think it's silly at times, it's, it's not so silly because you and I do the same thing. And I think it's key. What are our false, false fake gods that we need to identify? And then we elevate the true God and then we compare and we compare the two. And scripture is just chock full of comparisons on how the true God, the great God, greater than any other God, rises above it. So let's put all our stock in him, all our trust in him. That's well documented in the Psalms that we should do. Yeah. And and I think, you know, it's identifying and then making that decision to put him first and to trust him and to listen to him and to follow him mm-hmm. in, in what he has to say. And and I could go on, and I think I'm going to, because, um, uh, you know, we are in a very hotbed of, of things going on in our country. And in, in I'm seeing a lot of, you know, um, and I know, Eric, you're seeing this too, I think, um, my body, my choice. Oh, man, yeah. Okay, that is a very worldly, ungodly perspective. My body, my choice. And yeah, okay, your body, God's going to let you have the choice. Um, but at the end of the day, you will report to the God that really does want own your body. It has a the ultimate say right. of things. Right. And you will one day bow to, to him and acknowledge him. And I think... Um, even we idolize our own our own bodies at times yeah. oh, and our totally. own choices yes. that we say this is mine I do what I want you know and and so and it's just it's mind-boggling to me but then I realize these people are um, they're they are uh, uh, delusional they're tricked they're they're uh, under this deceived. deceived that's the word yeah they're deceived and thinking that they have this power and they have they can do whatever they want and God's going to let them do it they're not going to get away with it and it doesn't make it right and so I think for those of us who believe in Jesus want to love God live for him and make him first over every God even our body um, then it's not mine it's all his right and and we make the decision to follow him and his lead and so uh, so for me, and I think you would say this, this is not my body. Right. I've dedicated it to him because of what he's done for me. And so what I choose to do is going to be what he wants. And it's the will of God. And you study the will of God in Scripture. The will of God always brings joy to God. Yep. Especially when we do it. So uh-huh. that's my little my little thing today. I love that. I think okay. that's great. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, so where's Jesus in this? So we read about a very, very significant uh piece of the narration yeah. that um, is going to set up the coming Messiah, the Christ, right? So Israel, for the first time in their history, now they've had like moments of being like kind of conquered or living under uh, oppression while they've been in the land, but this is the first time we see Israel get taken away to somewhere else, and that's Assyria taking Israel. Yeah. This is the first occurrence of that. And we know, yeah. uh, if you've read the Bible before or you've heard the stories before, we know that Judah, the southern kingdom, so Israel got taken away, Judah will also be taken away. Road trips that they don't want. Yes, exactly. So, But this sets a couple things up, and I'm going to keep this really quick, but this is a historical piece that sets up the context in which Jesus will come. So Israel gets taken away to Assyria. They will return 
to their land. Judah gets taken away to Babylon. They will return to their land. However, not everyone does return nope. to the land. Some of them stay away from the land. Yep. And so what happens is later, centuries later, the uh, Greeks come rolling in and the Seleucids, which are Greek people, come rolling in and they sort of, it's called Hellenizing or they yep. they transfer uh, this thought, the, the way of thinking to a Greek way of thinking. And so we'll start to see a strong Greek influence mm-hmm. in the region. And that strong Greek influence is what gives way for, one, the Romans to come in and also conquer once the Greek empires kind of fall apart after the death of Alexander the Great, but also gives us our New Testament language, gives us this idea of, of how we report narratives like the Gospels and the Book of Acts. Yeah. So this Greek Hellenizing that takes place during this time is essential to how we receive Christ at, in, in his context. And so this first, this is kind of the first step toward that. The Israel, Israel, the northern kingdom being taken away into captivity is going to set up mm. the Hellenization of the Middle East um, and especially the Jews because they won't all return to Jerusalem. The ones who return to Jerusalem don't get Hellenized. The ones who stay far away do, and mm-hmm. then they come back and bring that with them. So yep. uh, it's it's maybe not the most scriptural thing uh, to say there's Jesus, but it is historically, this is this is God working the plan. Yeah, God is working the plan to create this environment in which Jesus can come and be received, and then the gospel can spread to a fertile Mediterranean region, mm-hmm. and then Europe, and to you and I today. Very good. So that's, that's where that kind of starts. Very insightful. So, yeah, all right. Very well, insightful. Like that's that. a long one, but you know what? Lots of good stuff in there. That is a long one. Yeah, it's all right. Hey, hey, thanks for joining us. We're so proud of you. Yeah. Way to go. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to see you again tomorrow. Okay, bye-bye. Bye.